This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! So many, so like, Libby, this was the one where I was suddenly like, oh, this is ending. <laughs> you felt it? Yeah, I, I did. I felt it in my heart as I was watching episode 64. I was like, there's only a few more left. And I, I for the first time, had mixed feelings about <laughs> ending this podcast. Did you cry a little? Be honest. No. <laughs> Damn. No. But I did feel lightly sad. <laughs> lightly sad. Maybe that's the title for this episode. We'll see. Lightly sad. Oh, what a great title for the penultimate episode. It is the penultimate penultimate episode. Oh, that's right. No, it was the pen. The pen yeah. penultimate. Yeah. Um, it's the penultimate episode of Swan's Crossing, and we have two more episodes of this podcast after this. We'll do, of course, episode 65, the final episode, and then we will have our retrospective retrospective, wherein we amalgamate all of our various stats and talk about what an experience this was, wasting two years of our lives doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> oh. so tasty. Can't believe it's been two years. I can't either. It, time has flown. Um, yeah. This is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey, and I have all the feelings today, people. All the feelings for episode 64, which is what we watched. Uh, you want to go over your predictions? Please. I it, it has been quite a while since we recorded. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. So I honestly, the last episode came out on my podcatcher, and then... And I was like, wait, is this the last one we recorded or not? And and I was like, wait, no, I, ah, uh, yeah. So it's been so long. I don't remember. I didn't remember when I started watching where we were in the series. Ah, good times. Okay. So you predicted Callie and Jimmy would find the snake pit. Sadly, no. Saja and Sandy would not be in the next episode or would be starting to get romantic. I would argue that that's probably correct because Saja kind of hints at it. Yep. Garrett would get sick of working... Wait, sorry. Yeah, Garrett would get sick of working with Owen and would try to make out with Mila. <laughs> I mean, kinda? Yeah, I mean, not really. I, I don't uh, feel yeah. like I can give myself that one. Okay, boo. JT and Mila would have another poetry scene and Glory would walk in on this conversation. No. No. And still no birth certificate and nothing would happen with Sydney contacting Billy Gunn. Sadly, that was incorrect. Oh my gosh, we are going to talk about that. Yeah, do the thumbnail though. Yeah, so uh, the thumbnail on ShoutFactoryTV.com for this episode, Mila and Nancy stand on the booth porch 
across from Glory, who's looking very defensive with her arms crossed and turned slightly away from them. I don't know how the actress playing Nancy consistently manages to seem smug in every frame, but it is truly a gift. (laughs) It's a gift. She's amazing. Yeah. Well, we open on a phone conversation between Mila and Garrett. She is sprawled across her pink swan bed, playing with her golden tresses while Garrett paces around Glory's bedroom for no reason other than it's the only set they had of the interior of the booth home. Mila is in the exact same shade of pink as the bed cover. (laughs) Making it difficult to distinguish where Mila ends and the bed begins. They're discussing Garrett's impending departure to France, and he's assuring her that he's somehow going to avoid it. Yeah, Garrett's like, Garrett's very optimistic in this scene. Yeah, when Garrett Booth puts his mind to something, he gets it. To which Mila responds, like me, with this delighted Uh smile on her face. Like she's so proud of being a trophy. (laughs) So gross. She reminisces about the time Garrett read her the poem below her balcony, and Garrett says... As soon as I'm free, I'll give you all the poems in the world, just as Glory enters her own bedroom. When Garrett sees Glory, he quickly gets off the phone with Mila with this guilty flinch, and Glory instantly lays into him, telling him he can't give Mila her poems. (laughs) It's so great. She knows exactly what was going on. And he's like, all right, I I promise, fine. She asks about the the plan to stay that he was just telling Mila about, and he lets her know that he always gets other people to do his dirty work, at which point, of course, we cut to Sydney. Now, this shot is a fantastic, shadowy film noir setup with Sydney dressed in silky blacks, lounging on a big white chair in a shadowy room and speaking into her princess phone. And from there, we cut to Billy Gunn on the other end, shirtless. So gross. Sydney has woken him up because it's 4.30 in the morning in London, so that would make it 11.30 p.m. in Swan's Crossing. Billy is sitting up in his bed, which has black satin sheets, and he is shirtless, which I'm sure made many a middle schooler swoon when this first aired, but it's just really gross now. And he appears to have a tiny rose tattooed on his chest. Oh, I did not notice that. It's really tiny. What I did notice, Libby, is that if you look carefully at his sheet to his right camera left it's moving like there's somebody in the bed next to him i noticed that too and i think it was very intentional i think the writers slipped that in as like (laughs) this will go right over the kids heads Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's pretty gross sydney tells him this is not a social call and a subtle doom sting plays as we cut to Swan's Cafe, which is unexpectedly busy for 11.30 p.m. I love this scene. (laughs) I love this scene so much. It makes zero sense. Ralph (laughs) and Mr. Han are enjoying a cup of coffee and luxuriating in the anticipation of school starting and things quieting down. The suited FBI guy is in the foreground, And he is incredibly stiff in his chair at another table. And his newspaper is unconscionably high. (laughs) Like his newspaper is raised up to the point where you know this guy is hiding something. (laughs) The voice controlled scooter or skateboard, as they keep calling it, is also at the table 
with the giant bow still attached. And as the camera tracks, we see Captain Baldy also sitting behind Ralph and Mr. Han at the counter, eyes locked on them like this is somehow important. And he appears to have stabbed a piece of cake with a like a you like an army knife like it's a utensil but he's paused and eating it so it looks like he's just holding an impaled piece of cake and like kind of holding it like maybe he's thinking about stabbing either mr han or ralph or perhaps both of them this is the setup shot folks this is the establishing shot of this scene (laughs) that's so great it's amazing As Ralph and Mr. Han wrap up their conversation, Jazz approaches Captain Baldy to flirt with him awkwardly, and she suggests that maybe Captain Baldy will drop in at the cafe whenever he's in town. And Captain Baldy says, Swan's Crossing is like home to him now. Aww. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There is a weird uh, section in here where Jazz, not understanding why he has impaled this piece of cake, pretends to be the piece of cake. Um, which is, I mean, some of the worst flirting I've ever seen. <laughs> it is really And bad. I don't, to be fair, I don't think this is the fault of the actress playing jazz. No, probably not. Probably not. We cut to the old Walker estate where Jimmy and Callie are looking around the foggy undergrowth with their flashlights. And uh, Jimmy is noting that they can't find anything. So whatever they heard at the end of the last episode... Uh, it must have run off. There is this, there is a lot of mist. And as they're peering into it, Callie says, if it were Barrick, he must have got away. And then through the mist, Barrick appears and says, I don't, I didn't know anybody was looking for me. This is a truly creepy moment. It is so creepy. I watched this in broad daylight on a ferry And this moment freaked me right out. It is really spooky. It's like you hear footsteps at first and then like the mist just parts and Barrack is right there, like right in front of them. It is one of the truly unusual instances of good cinematography in this show. Yeah, they finally got their shit together, right? In the second to last episode. Anyway, we cut from this ominous doom music and and night smoke-filled scene to our peppy transition theme song. It's the short version that ends with the almost kiss and the rocket explosion, which is absolutely my favorite edit. (laughs) And then we cut back to Glory, holding her cookies ransom until Garrett explains his plan. (laughs) Yeah, she's got like a tin of cookies and she negotiates with Garrett that if he tells her his whole plan for staying in Swan's Crossing, she will give him three of her famous cookies. They finally settle on four with extra chocolate chips. And Gl- Glory sits and Garrett says, you know how dad admires an entrepreneurial spirit? And this, I love this. Glory pops out of her chair, <laughs> pops her hip and says, it's what makes a booth a booth. <laughs> and then sits immediately back down. It's so funny. <laughs> this staging makes no sense. And I love it so much. Well, uh, Garrett claims that by the time school rolls around, which is in two weeks, mind you, he's going to be the master of a mega million dollar enterprise, so he'll have to stay in Swan's Crossing. I think this is a little optimistic. Two weeks? Yeah, but here's the thing. When you're that age, it does seem like anything is possible. Yes, that's true. (laughs) But his plan is he's going to use Owen's video of Mila to make her a 
overnight star. He's going to ship the video out to producers who are going to come to see Mila at the uh, the inaugural concert. And then they're just going to l- sit back and watch the offers roll in. Yes, and all this delivered on the prompt from Glory. What are you going to sell to earn Mega Millions? To which Garrett responds, not what, who? So he's going to essentially traffic Mila <laughs> make millions of dollars. As a person so who gross. books musical artists for my job, this is not inaccurate. <laughs> I believe you about that, unfortunately. I'm just saying. Glory points out that the video is supposed to be for Sandy, and Garrett is unfazed by this. He says Mila will be prominently featured, and I guess like she's so hot that everyone will pay attention to her, I don't know. And they'll go off to all the big record producers and they'll be invited to come check her out on stage at the concert after the Merle election. And the offers, I guess, of zillions of dollars will immediately dump in within two weeks. I, I, I think this is, like I said, optimistic. I mean, I, nothing moves this fast in the publishing industry. I have to assume in, in the music industry, it's even slower. Oh, yeah. So after hearing the plan, Glory looks at him and says, if you told me you were going to do this for Sandy, I'd understand. She's really talented. But Mila? I know. Like the the amount of, of sarcastic smarm Glory is serving up anytime anyone mentions Mila or Mila appears is truly amazing. Like Glory hates it's Mila so good. much at this point. Yep. And Glory brings up how much uh, she didn't realize that Mila loved poetry, which Garrett sort of brushes aside and says Mila is going to get over that phase. <laughs> but Glory mentions that Mila and JT met at the soda shop and connected about poetry this morning, which really sends Garrett for a spin. Oh yeah, he's like alarmed. He eventually, after having a, a brief motion, emotional crisis, takes himself off to bed, and Glory says Riley, pleasant dreams, Garrett. <laughs> and we snap cut to Billy Gunn, Ugh. and they rehash her abandoning him in the convertible to walk home in that episode, which feels like a million years ago. Yeah. And she... <laughs> She notes that her mom was surprised to find the car parked the opposite direction in the garage. (laughs) Billy keeps making references throughout this conversation to the ride, which sounds fine, I guess, to American ears. We only we only associate that with riding in cars, I guess, in this context. But it is slang for fucking in the UK. So he's straight up just talking about fucking Sydney. I don't. I don't feel like it's not slang for that here. Not, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's not not, but I don't think, like, American teenagers would have picked up on it in the 90s, you know? Yeah, probably not. But it is, it is some, it is approaching levels of innuendo that we only expect from Saja's older sister. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have not seen in ages, and I miss her so much. I know, it's it's tragic. Billy says... I'm not evil, love, which is certainly a matter of opinion. Sydney says she just wants him to call Uncle Bobby and convince him to come to the concert to check out some new talent. And uh, he says he can give Mila a good turn and confirms that if Sydney is going to be there, he, he'll definitely do it. <laughs> she gets a little bristly and he, he realizes that she's still not, quote, up for the ride. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she hangs up on him. Well done, Sydney. Yep. We get her pensive theme music and a long stare before cutting back to Jazz, who is giving last call in the soda shop like she works a bar. Right. I love that. Then she just kicks everyone out instantly after doing last call. And the agent, who I, I'm pretty sure is Garrett's first dad, but it's been a long time since we've seen him, 
stands abruptly to follow Ralph and Mr. Han out. Uh, Mr. Han jumps on the scooter and, and tries to say one of the activation words, but it does not work. And Ralph gets on it and tries it and it does work for Ralph. So I'm guessing that the, the scooter is starting to learn Ralph's voice. Oh my God, it's AI. You remember you remember when you used to have to train the, the computer program to recognize your speech patterns? Do you remember that? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that used to be a thing. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was in, in early, I'm not sure if it was like early PDAs, um, but there were like, Early on, as voice recognition technology was was starting to be a thing, you actually had to like repeat phrases that were printed on the screen so that the the program would learn your voice and speech patterns. Oh yeah, I have I have done that a little bit. Yeah, one one time I I got some really bad radial neuritis and I couldn't type, so I had to switch to using uh, voice to text software for a while to let my wrists heal. And yeah, I did have to do it for that. It was crazy. I'm sorry, you got what? <laughs> Radial neuritis. It's basically carpal tunnel, but it involves a different nerve, so it's technically not carpal tunnel. So I had to not type for a while, which is difficult because I type for a living. Right. So um, yeah, I used Dragon software. It was actually pretty cool. It was it was fun. I wrote an entire novel with that thing. So you know. Oh wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I just love the words radial neuritis. <laughs> yeah. That's extremely good. <laughs> uh, pay close attention to ergonomics, folks. It's important. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually like that was one of the first things that happened at uh, my current job is that I got an ergonomic keyboard because I was like, I'm on this thing all the time. I'm not. Yeah, it's important. Don't fuck up your wrists. You only got two of them. So uh, anyway, Jazz and uh, the Baldy have a teeny little conversation after everybody else leaves where she's asking him if he's found the professor. And he notes that the he's discovered that the professor is there. He hasn't met him. But he knows that he's younger and he's looking forward to a longer meeting. Jazz smiles, sways, and says, me too. (laughs) Jazz just wants to bang this dude so bad. I love it. She she thirsty. (laughs) She is. Uh, Ralph manages to get the scooter rolling and uh, he and Mr. Han exit. The baldy begins to follow them out. Jazz tells him, take care. To which he rubs his head in perplexity and says... I don't have any. Then the FBI guy starts out, turns to Jazz, and says these actual words which I wrote down verbatim. You make a nice American cheese sandwich. The lettuce was a nice touch. <laughs> these these actual words came out of an actual human mouth. I love that moment. It was so weird. Why was it there? I just, it was great. We cut over to Barrick. He's noting that this is a weird place to uh, to find Callie and Jimmy, but he also notes that it's the only place that they're sure to be alone. Oh, uh, yeah, he just like taunts them and taunts them. And uh, Jimmy and Callie make hasty excuses for why they're actually there. And then Jimmy kind of gives it up and sort of confronts Barrick about why he's such a sneaky creep all the time. And he pulls out a jar of fireflies, says that this is where he's been hunting them and he's doing research on them because their their bioluminescence is essentially the same sort of phenomenon. That- oh, wait, I have to I have to hit the brakes there on you because he doesn't just do that. He angrily says, you caught me. This is going to be a most illuminating moment for you. And he reaches into his jacket like he's about to pull out a gun. You know what? You're right. You're right. That does happen. And I glossed right over it. And I feel bad. <laughs> That's okay. Jimmy and Callie both scramble to their feet. And of course, he just pulls out a jar of fireflies. 
And, uh, and then they, like, he explains that that's what he's doing. They grab their stuff and jet. And he follows them with a, don't worry, folks, I'm right behind you. In, like, this really creepy voice. Like, it, this whole scene is, it feels menacing. Like, Beric is gonna murder them, for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And if it, and if he's not gonna murder them, he is je- definitely checking out the butts of these two teenagers <laughs> as they go in front of him. Well, he was apparently the one who was taking pictures of them making out earlier, so yeah, I guess so. Ugh. Ugh, Beric. We cut to commercial when we're back. Ralph rides his scooter into Sydney's bedroom with a tray full of breakfast. Sydney is surprised by this because she th- she thought she and her mother were supposed to have breakfast downstairs. Now, this means Ralph carries his scooter up the stairs to bring Sydney her breakfast, unless there's also a kitchen on one of the upper floors. Because we already know dis- that despite elevators in a single family home being a rich people thing, there is no elevator in the Rutledge Mansion because Sydney was shocked to find an elevator in Mila's mansion. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I did it. So, Muffy's not going to be dining with Sydney this morning because she's in an early strategy, strategy meeting and won't be there because the election is no longer, quote, in the bag. And Sydney ponders if that's why Muffy's been acting so strange. But then, you know, <laughs> does does own up to the fact that everybody in this friggin' town is strange and has continued to act strange this whole series. True. Ralph begins coughing weirdly and then introduces Miss Mila, who enters the bedroom wearing that insane denim outfit we all love so much. It is so good. Where she's got jeans on the bottom and then a shirt that's made out of the butt of a pair of jeans with sheer white sleeves. It, it is so wild. Oh, I love it. Uh, they have a conversation as... Sydney goes through her clothes rack, even though Sydney is obviously fully dressed for the day. <laughs> yes, Mila is practically in tears. She's so upset that Garrett is going off to boarding school. Yep, but Sydney advises her not to worry. Garrett will obviously have something up his sleeve, and then notes that they might want to plan a bon voyage party anyway, which causes Mila to slump on the foot of Sydney's bed in despair. Just as as Mila throws herself down on the ottoman, Nancy enters. Hail Nancy. I'm a little sad we didn't get her trumpet fanfare this time, but it's there in my heart. Nancy wants to know who's going where. And when Mila says it's Garrett going away, Nancy says with sarcasm, heavier than the sun itself. Now that's a tragedy. Uh, My favorite thing about Nancy is that she always manages to enter the scene at the exact lowest point in anybody's character arc. And that is exactly the point that I want Nancy in there to just rub salt in the open wound. She does one thing and she does it real well. (laughs) True. It's true. Nancy points out that school is starting soon and there will be plenty of things to keep Mila's mind off Garrett. And that just makes Mila feel worse because she doesn't even know what a real school is like and doesn't know what to expect. Nancy explains that there's lockers, detention, back to school shopping, where you buy lots of clothes, get your nails done, pick up notebooks, and uh, make sure to get on the A-list party. Which Sydney says is pretty easy because she throws most of them. Nancy advises Mila to sign up for at least 12 12 activities at school and then never actually do any of them after the first week because all those activities will look marvelous on your resume. And then you're going to settle in for two months, deal with school, and run away with your parents to Aruba on winter break. Right. This is what every teenager dreams of, going on vacation with their parents. Mila says, that's all normal? And I instantly wrote, no, Mila, it's a rich people thing. (laughs) Sydney says, I don't know if it's going to be a normal year for anyone, 
especially me. And again, the pensive piano music plays. This one is so good because it really is like, like Sydney steps out of the scene for a moment to <laughs> stare at the camera. <laughs> so good. We cut over to Swans. Jazz hands a menu to an extra we've never seen before, and then starts talking to Callie and Jimmy about how weird it was last night in the cafe. There were so many groanies. <laughs> I hate it when Jazz tries to be hip. <laughs> I I was like, are you kidding me, Jazz? You like you could have been here with terrible teens, and you're gonna complain about the polite and well-behaved grown-ups? <laughs> so weird. She kind of spills the beans a little bit about how Captain Baldy was uh, asking about a Professor Van. Callie and Jimmy don't know who that is. And then after Jazz goes off to work some more, Jimmy starts gaming out how Barrick could have landed his plane and gotten to the Walker estate while they were still roaming around. Before they can really land on anything solid, Saja arrives and greets his fellow, as he puts it, Night Stalkers. (laughs) And... Can I just say that if it had been me, having left in the conditions that Saja left from, knowing that my fellow teenagers were going to be making out all night, I would have been unbearable at this meeting. (laughs) I was that kid who would like come in after something had happened and been like, so how'd it go? (laughs) Do anything fun last night? (laughs) I love it. And this lasted into my (laughs) mid-20s. Saja um, notes that he walked Sandy home last night and he seems very pleased about it. And I think it's also worth noting that rather than wearing one of his goofy, like, weird stereotype Asian kind of costumey things that we've been seeing him in, he is wearing the most 90s vest of all time. I think his love for Sandy is bringing him back into reality instead of his fantasy universe. And it is a classic 90s denim shirt underneath the vest. Like, it, oh, yeah. it, it is 100% classic 90s. Callie and Jimmy fill him in on the whole barrack thing and while they're talking, Captain Baldy enters behind them. Ominous music sounding in the background. Yes. Jazz tries to get Captain Baldy to hang out for a while, but he won't because, as he says, too much crowd. He goes, some other time and then he leaves and Callie sees the band-aids on his head and then fingers the band-aid they found on the Walker estate grabs Saja and Jimmy and jets out of the soda shop after him. Although I I feel like the particular way in which he leaves deserves a moment because it was so, so weird. He touches Jazz tenderly on the face and says, beg for mercy. (laughs) I don't know what is happening there. No, no, that that is from the cake flirting earlier. Oh, that's right. That's we didn't right. talk about this, but she's she's like, are you trying to make the cake beg for mercy? And uh, he doesn't understand what she means. So that's when she starts being like, ah, oh, no, I'm cake. Blah, no, don't eat me. Oh, right? my God. So now he's saying beg for mercy like it's a cute term of affection between them or something. It is so disturbing. This is more complex than it needs to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, they run out after Captain Baldy because finally they have their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Band-Aid clue all wrapped up. And we cut to the booth porch. Glory opens an invitation to a goodbye to summer party at the Swan Club. Which Garrett quickly realizes, since it's Sydney throwing it, that it is a goodbye party to him. And he gets enraged to the point of murder. Oh yeah, he knows that this is actually going to be a party of mockery and derision in his ironic honor. Which, gosh, I hope that's true. 
He storms back inside with the invitation just as Mila and Nancy turn up. Nancy says she's trying to talk Mila into joining the cheerleading squad when school starts and Glory has this look on her face like, yeah, okay, bitch. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I, I want to bring up real quick that as Mila and Nancy walk up, like onto the porch, the door is shutting and they start, they lead with, where is Garrett? There is zero chance that they didn't see him just go into the house. Oh yeah, like half of his body is still visible as they come into frame. Yeah. Anyway, here's Garrett because he storms back out again and almost runs into Mila. He cools his jets immediately and says he has to do some work for his dad, but he'll meet Mila later at the pool for a swim. Yeah, he's, I'm not sure, like he t- he says that Muffy's been bad-mouthing his dad all over town. And I'm not sure if that's information that he just got off stage or if... He's just saying that to cover why he's so upset. Yeah, I think it's he's just trying to come up with a plausible excuse for being super upset. But I don't know. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if it was because sometimes the writers of Swan's Crossing hide important exposition as something that just seems out of place and stupid. Yeah. You know, and I thought that might be this. Could be. Anyway, he offers to meet Mila later when he gets done doing stuff for his dad. And she watches him go with these goo goo eyes that are just ridiculous. (laughs) Cut to outside the tool and die. The three sleuths run out of the alley, but Captain Bali, Captain Baldy is nowhere to be seen. They stop a random stranger who is the FBI guy and ask if he saw Captain Baldy. They're like, have you seen a guy with band-aids on his head? <laughs> Which is a great description. Yeah. And he goes, in the most robotic voice imaginable, he says, no, I would be sure to notice someone like that. Why are you interested? Beep, boop, beep. I am a human. Definitely not a robot. Hello, you. <laughs> I also want to point out, he is dressed in a set of coveralls for a uh, organization on the back that says Swans Stonewalling, which is exactly what he's doing in this, this scene. Thank you, writers, for this beautiful meta touch. How delightfully meta. Oh my God, it's so funny. He asks them why they're so interested. None of them answer. And we cut to commercial. When we're back, Sydney and Garrett are at no man's land arguing over the upcoming party. They're talking through the hole in the wall. Oh, sweet. Oh, lovely wall. And uh, Sydney points out that she already called Billy Gunn for Garrett. So Garrett should just get off her back and leave her alone. And Garrett taunts her about how she probably liked talking to Billy Gunn. Ugh. And she goes, well, maybe Mr. Rock and Roll is interested, but I'm not. And they're they're talking through this, and essentially she understands through this conversation that Garrett has until the night of the concert to figure out how to get himself to stay here. So that's why he's got to get Mila in front of all these producers. Oh yeah, and he angrily demands that Sydney, Sydney specifically, must turn Mila into quote the biggest rock and roll star like on the night of the concert so he can stay in Swan's Crossing. (laughs) Like you do it, Garrett. If you're such a genius, you do it. Jackass. God. Uh, Sydney storms off and we crossfade to Mila and Garrett meeting outdoors. There's this fantastic synth love music playing. (laughs) They have a big hug. And then we cut to Saja, Callie and Jimmy trying to explain why they're looking for Captain Baldy. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I love the fact that they just hug. They don't kiss. It's just hugs. Yeah. (laughs) Jimmy and Callie toss in a bunch of nonsense about how Saja needs to connect with Captain Baldy as a test for his perceptive powers. And the secret agent guy says, 
good luck, and just walks away. And Ralph comes barreling through, trying to get his scooter to stop, uh, jets into the tool and die shop door, goes flying, falls off the scooter, is caught by the trio, and Barrick grabs the scooter like he's an action hero saving a baby from falling off a building. He does like a like a dive for it. It's great. And he comments about runaway scooters and runaway imaginations. The camera zooms in on Ralph and the gang. Ralph has this fantastic questioning look on his face. Freeze frame, roll credits. It's such a good ending. I don't know why I loved this episode so much. I mean, it was awesome. It was. It was great. Who was our psychopath of the week? I mean, Garrett's making a strong play. So is Merrick, though. So is Merrick. Hmm. I gotta I gotta go, Garrett. Okay. I will agree with you on that. Did you get a swan count? Oh, I did get a swan count, yes. Okay, give us our swan Let's count. Let's cut everything that I just said. So I did. Give us right. what's our swan count? All right. <laughs> We've got two new fake swans. So we've got our uh, imaginary swans at seven, actual swans at 24, other swans at 155. Libby, we have one more episode to get to one more actual swan. Maybe we will. (laughs) Every actual swan in this show was in, I'm 85% sure, the first three episodes (laughs) right They did have a lot of actual swans early on. <laughs> yeah, it was a glut of actual swans right at the beginning. <laughs> and then and then they were like, real swans, too expensive. Yeah. We really, we really got to back off on the real swans. <laughs> okay, what are your predictions for next final week? Libby, we have one episode left. Everything hangs in the balance. And by everything, I mean... Nothing. I don't really know what's going on. The point is, I think we get the truth about the birth certificate being is exposed, is revealed in this final episode. I think Billy Gunn returns to Swan's Crossing. I think JT and Neil discover that Captain Baldy is seeking Professor Van. There is some sort of big development in the mayoral race. Mila discovers that JT wrote the poems. And we end season one right before the big inaugural concert. That's what I think happens. Okay, well, it is sure to be a thrilling wrap-up to the greatest television show of all time, Swan's Crossing. (laughs) And we will find out all about it next week. We sure will. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swan's Crossing. And don't forget to hit us up on Instagram at Swan's Cross Pod. DM me with your questions for our final episode. Please do that because I am also going to write questions, but if you don't write questions as well, it's going to be a very short final episode. So please send us your questions. Yeah, we're going to be sad. Ray, we're counting on you. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And until we meet next time, my friends... May you make all your slices of cake beg for mercy. (laughs) You make a good American cheese sandwich. The lettuce was a nice touch.